as always, with Joaquin Bosley. Style <laughs> points. Ain't none of these boys at 170 stop me. I say nobody. You hear me? Anybody at 170, come holler at me. Joaquin, New Mexico! Welcome to UFC Unfiltered. We had a little miscommunications and we're all good now. And uh, a good show today. Adam Carolla coming back on the show. And Joaquin Buckley, after that tremendous um, head kick knockout of uh, Andre Fialo, will be on today. Um, he is a fun guy to watch fight. That was a great fight. I thought the whole card was really good, Matt. Man, I was so, I mean, I'll tell you, it's like, you know he has, Joaquin Buckley has that KO power. And it's like, man, it, it, I want to know, is it, is, it, is it hard for him to, to not just chase that KO? He knows he has dynamite. He knows if he touches him, he can put him to sleep. But he's being very patient. He's being very aggressive, but yet not overzealous where just throwing caution to the wind, you know? Right. He sets his, he, he's setting it up. And boy, you how, man, that was... And it was weird because when he kicked him, when he fell down, I, Andre was so out of it. It almost looked like he was smiling, but I think he was just delirious. Yeah. I the look at it. It was really a scary one. A lot and of his knockouts are scary. I, they're, they're highlight real knockouts. And, and yeah. then he, uh, he hit him one more time while he was down. Um, but I, I, I don't know if he caught him flush on the chin. I, I couldn't really see where that punch landed or if he even connected with that last punch. Um, I, I, I want to ask him about that. And how about uh, Mackenzie Dern looked really, really great against Angela Hill. And Angela Hill, even though she lost, it was a very dominating performance by Dern. But it, it's still, she doesn't lose anything. Like as far as a, a perception, is. I thought she was out in the second round. I thought she was out in the third round. Incredibly tough person, incredibly durable and hard to put away. No, I mean, listen, I'll, I wonder how hard it was for her husband to be in the corner for, I mean, the ground and pound, it was a technical ground and pound. She had dominant positions, Mackenzie Dern, and she was just tomahawking her and punching her. And it was just, it was brutal. And yeah. I, 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 you know, I hope she doesn't have a bad concussion. I, I, she, I, those kind of, it's like they weren't, any one of those could have been fight enders. It could have just, she could have just covered up, but she didn't. She kept trying to survive and move and she did. She yeah. made it through. But I think what, what, what she wasn't, not that she wasn't prepared for it, but she, I think that it was might've surprised her where was the um, Mackenzie Dern striking. That her standup was great. Yeah. It was a lot more her work with Jason Perillo. She was always, she's shown that she has some power in the past. Like she's put girls down and she's, clip girls with some big overhands and stuff but her her technique looked 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 uh her striking looked more clean more crisp right it was coming from the chin and and her her takedowns were great she would do a nice uh hip throw like she'd get her hip in front and just and just it it wasn't it wasn't she wasn't she didn't have to just like rely on jumping the guard when things weren't going her way she I, she was phenomenal i thought it was great i thought it was a even though Angela Hill did show great heart and skill, 
I'll, I, Mackenzie Dern was just, it, you look, it looked like she leveled up something. She leveled up. You know what I mean? I can't believe she's only ranked eighth. Um, I, I don't know why I'm surprised at that. I guess because Dern has been talked about like a top 10 fighter for so long. I, I can't believe she's lost a couple of key fights. That's and Dana said Mackenzie's in a really good position after tonight's performance. She's never looked meaner than she looked tonight. Yeah. Who do you think they match her up with next that she hasn't fought? Let's see. Um, I don't know. I'm sorry, but I think I'm biting my protein bar. It's so unprofessional. Take it. Go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to actually go. And... I thought the 7 a.m. And then I took a little a little nap in the office because I, I get there. like I get up at like 5 a.m. when I do that. And then and then I thought the noon. And now I'm with you. It's such a fun day. I yep. love jiu-jitsu. And some, oh, did you start yet? I'm not giving you any pressure. Uh, no, we, we traded um, text messages, and he was going to get back to me. He traveled. He said he was traveling. He wanted to start this week, but I haven't heard from him. Um, oh, I'll give him I, shit. No, no, no. He might be away. I was assuming he was right. away. No, he's a good uh, man. Jedi Mike J is a good man. Yeah, let me see. The last thing uh, I'll text. Oh, he's going to text me tomorrow. He's going to text me tomorrow. I'm excited for you, bro. I'm excited yeah, me too. Journey. I gave my my guy Brad Lombardo, one of New York's finest. I gave him his uh, brown belt today. That guy's been with me for a long time. Oh, that's and nice. Smiling Chris, a little stocky guy. I like it. His blue belt. So it's all about the journey, man. I love it, dude. I love making good people dangerous. And uh, you know what else I'm excited about? Talking to, I'm excited to talk to Adam Carolla. That guy's been around a while, man. Oh, he's in the yes. waiting room. Oh, all right. <clears throat> yeah. Let's and two of the people, by the way, ahead of Dern, she has lost to. Uh, so that's probably why she hasn't climbed higher than eight. Uh, she's lost to Rodriguez and uh, Chardin. Hey, buddy. Hey, what's going on? How are you, Adam? Good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> nice, nice to see you. Good to see you guys. Are you still doing, you switched format a little bit recently, right? You were doing it one way and then you switched to kind of having a few people. And how, how are you doing it now? Uh, I do daily podcast with a sort of rotating cast of comedians and celebrities. Do you like having a co-host or do you like being by yourself? Um, I can do it any way anyone wants to do it, you know, I, but in general, I like talking to people. You do. Do you do a lot of research or do you kind of just kind of let it fly as it happens? Um, it's kind of catch as catch can sometimes like later on today, Shatner's coming in. Huh. I've interviewed him a few times. I know him pretty well, but I also kind of looked up a few things just to prepare myself. And then sometimes there's a comedian that I'm not familiar with. So I'll want to research a little, watch a little of their special and, you know, sort of what have you. But in general, I'm a little laissez fair with it, but not as lazy as a lot of our fellow comedians who do no <laughs> prep. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? This guy's like, and I seen William Shatner on a show recently, not too long ago. He's got his marbles and he's in his 90s, isn't he? I mean, I mean, no, no I mean, like, isn't it crazy how some guys they lose that a lot quicker than others? I'm not, I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be Freud here or anything. I'm just I'm not trying to discover something new, but I'm just trying to say that that guy's he's with it still. And then you get guys in their late 60s and 70s that are just spaced, like just you see them losing their mind. 
I don't want to scare you guys because you might be getting up there. <laughs> no, I, Sorry, you know, I, I, I think, a, I think most of it is genetic, but then a lot of it is just a sort of approach to life. You know, Shatner's got a lot of interests and hobbies and passions, and he's like riding horses every day, and he's just sort of getting up and doing something every day. It's kind of like if you said, "I'm going to start every morning with fifty push-ups." wouldn't you carry that on later in life than most people do? You know, I mean, if you just sort of equated it to something physical, you know, right. if you said, yeah. I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to swim a hundred laps in the swimming pool and you just never stop doing that, then you'd probably carry that into your eighties, you know? So I think some of it is sort of physical and some of it has to do with the kind of constitution and repetitiveness and, you know, and then there's another part of it that's just purely genetic. I've interviewed him a few times, but I haven't interviewed him since he went on that uh, Blue Comet. Have you talked to him since he's done that? He went up in Bezos' yes. uh, Blue Comet. All I want to do is ask about the, uh, you, you know how there's a propulsion that takes you up, and then if the propulsion breaks off, and then you're just kind of being, I guess I'm assuming free-falling, which is why you're floating. And I want to know what slows you down besides the parachute like what what is the descent like in that thing once you get back into gravity and falling i'm dying to know that have you asked him that i'll ask him in about an hour and a half <laughs> yeah it's like driving me nuts That's, because it seems like once the you know the plane it kind of got it's slowly it, they slow down but if there's no engines in the just the capsule how the fuck do they slow you down when you're falling back to earth i think it's you're right with the parachute and i have talked to him since he went up to the stratosphere or outer space or whatever technically is. And he just said it was very emotional for him. He just said he looked at the planet in a way he never really looked at the planet before, you know, with the a kind of perspective where you're up at an altitude where you're seeing we're all just living in this same place. And I think a lot of it had to do with him about climate change, but also sort of a psychological component to it like we're all just on this space why are we feuding all the time what's with all the combat what's with all the what's with all the battles going on we're just on this planet together at the same time was he up for far enough to see if it was round or flat oh it's a good question yeah come on man that's a he could go out there and yeah out of some people's conspiracies yeah, I think he got high enough to see the general orb shape of the Earth. But uh, see, see if it changes my ask him if he had a change of heart. You never know. It'd be interesting to hear what he has to say. Does he think it's flat? Uh, that should be the first question. Did you did you did you look down and see that it was flat? It would really send the interview into a shit spiral. Adam, you used to box. Let's talk about that. Yes. You yes. and now do you still do that to stay in shape? What do you do now when you stop moving? We talked about that. You die. So what are you doing now? to keep going every day. I have uh, a rowing machine I will hit you know, as frequently as I can. Uh, lots of kind of long walks slash hikes, and then uh, a fair amount of shadow boxing because you can shadow box anywhere. You know, you can be in a hotel room, out on the road, you know, 20 minutes before you got to leave for the gig and you can just shadow box for 20 minutes. And I've found that like, first things like 
find something you can do that doesn't involve a bunch of equipment, you know, because it's not always going to be around, you know, find something you can kind of do in the waiting room of a dentist's office or something, you know, and I've always found shadow boxing is good because you can really work up a sweat shadow boxing if you kind of do it technically and you're kind of vigorous about it. It's also much better for your form than pounding away on a heavy bag or doing something of that nature. You know, you can find yourself really tightening up your form a lot better with, with shadow boxing. So I've, I've found shadow boxing is, is a good way to kind of burn a couple calories and you can do it in your underpants in the hotel room, like in front of the TV set, you know, and just do do it for 15 or 20 minutes. You like, you break a sweat. You're not going to get in phenomenal shape. You just kind of gets the, get your heart moving, kind of gets the juices flowing a, a little bit. And for, for me, that's, that's kind of what I do. What are you, what is this thing, Adam, you're doing too? I know you get the podcast, the upcoming pay-per-view. It's uh, in San Diego. It's June the 4th. And uh, you can go to liveone.com slash Corolla live. Is it stand up or is it a live podcast? We're doing uh, some stand up and we're also doing this gag where we hand out ping pong balls. Brad Williams is going to be with us. You hand out ping pong balls to the audience before the show. They write one word on the ping pong ball. We collect them and put them in a bingo hopper and pull the balls out. Whatever the whatever the word is on the ball, you have to do a on the spot stand up routine on that ball, on that word. And I've done it around the country. It works. It's kind of interesting and it's fun. It's challenging, but it's a way to show the audience there's no there's no net here we don't know what's on the ball we don't know what's coming out of the hopper and uh that's the challenge wow that's a very interesting way to do it and you and there's almost like if the joke sucks if the word is just too hard or there's nothing there is there any rules with the word does it have to be a noun or a verb or it can be anything the rule is it just should be one word just that makes it more challenging you know to say you know something like global warming that's fine but it but it's two words you know yep. we we do one one word that eh, people get drunk and write two things on there sometimes but the the challenge is is one word of all the ones you've done is there a word that you're proudest of that you pulled something out of the hat like i can't believe i made this funny i I, I don't I don't remember how funny I made it, but I remember one of the more challenging words was Belgium. And yeah. I just didn't have any thoughts on Belgium and I, I couldn't really connect um, anything to Belgium and I didn't have any history there and I didn't know anything about Belgium. So I remember that I remember hearing Belgium, you know, if you get mom or dad, you know, th- those are pretty pretty easy or last name of a politician you don't like, you know, or woke or something like that. It's pretty easy to go right. to town on that kind of stuff. But uh, Belgium was one that I, I remember thinking this is going to be challenging and I don't have any pre-existing thoughts and I, and I can't connect it to some bit or some notion or some thought that's adjacent to it. Is it cheating if you make the joke 
that you're doing kind of about the fact that you have nothing on the word? I think you can do that sparingly like you can't do three balls in the in a row where you right, got right. nothing so, <laughs> yeah. but i think you can kind of do it i mean you know jim like when you're doing stand up every once in a while you'll muff a joke and you'll admit it to the audience that you screwed up the punchline or you put yeah. it early in the setup or something and the audience will laugh at it they'll they'll think it's there's something they get a little peek behind the curtain it's alive just, yeah you just admitted yourself you, you screwed the pooch on the joke. You'll get a laugh, but but you can't do that three jokes in a row. You fucking up jokes, right? Right. You'll see him incompetent. Yeah, like you right. don't belong up there. Yeah, that right. makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I like those exercises where it's just like see what you can do with this. I find there's very little pressure with them because, you know, it's such a, an, an odd thing that if it if I don't have anything good, I'm okay with that. Um, I always feel worse if I show up and I'm supposed to be prepared and I still shit my pants. And then it's like, all right, I just couldn't do it. But if they throw a word out there that I have no connection to, you know, I give myself a little pass. Well, that's the challenge part. You know, yep. throwing out a word that you have bits on or thoughts on or pre-existing notions on, that's not very difficult for right. a stand-up. You know, the tough part are the are the words you draw a blank like they throw it out and you got a blank you know that's that's when the challenge kicks in you're doing it as long as both of you have been doing stand-up are the nerves still there or are they not really like, are you like oh, i'm afraid this doesn't work with new material or not really you don't really you know what i mean i don't i don't have those nerves but but i was never i, I never really had a lot of them you know in the past either so i was sort of detuned my wiring is is very sort of detuned in general but no i i find myself just sort of walking up on stage without okay. any out any nerves or thoughts but jim um I, i'm i'm basically behind the stage just taking a, a bath in shame i always expect it to be terrible um little nerves as we go on not terror at all just a little like all right, this once you're out there, let's see how it goes. I never think I'm going to be able to keep momentum going, um, you know, but not petrified. The paralyzing fear is long gone. Uh, but, you know, little, there's a little something about to happen, so I always feel it, yeah. I think my, Matt, my version of that is I'll sit in the green room and the have somebody open for me or do a feature or something, and they'll do like 15 minutes. And I'll sit there and like after minute 11, I'll go, man, they've been on stage for a long time. Like it feels, it, even if they're getting big laughs, I'm like, it still feels like they've been out there for a long time. And then I think I'm doing an hour and, and I go, they're at minute 12 and it feels like a lot of material. It feels like a lot of talking for 12 minutes. Like they just did. 14 premises in 12 minutes and then i'm like how what am i going to do with an hour how's that going to work but you go out there and it works and it works enough that you go all right well this will just be one of those times it works again has, it, i'm sorry i was gonna say there has to be something with the stand-up that's addicting to you guys because the guys that don't have to do it anymore like i'm not that you have to like guys like the, the seinfelds uh whoever name all these guys even adam sandler's doing things. rogan they, rogan they don't have to do it 
but there's something in them that it's just they have they they enjoy they, they really enjoy it or right i don't know you guys are just drawing you probably be doing this the rest of your days no guys i mean yeah no- yeah um i think for me i think i don't really need it in terms of being adored by the audience or hearing the laughter or any of that sort of stuff that people talk about that's addicting, you know, the, the roar of the crowd, any of that. Um, for me, it's a, it's kind of two part, which is I would like to get better at this thing. I would, I'd like to learn this thing and, and grow at this thing and sort of improve my skill set at this, this thing. I think it's, you know, guys pick up jujitsu in their forties, you know, and they go, I just want to be better. I just want to be better. And it, and you can go, yeah, but you're an accountant or you're an attorney. It's like, yeah, I know, but I want to be, I just want to get better at this thing. There's that. And then the other part for me is how I grew up and, and what I did growing up, which was just you know, a never ending succession of sort of menial construction jobs, you know, hauling garbage and busting up stucco and dragging it out to the dumpster. And, you know, it was hot, it was dusty. You drank off the hose, you know, the notion of showing up somewhere with air conditioning and a, a wait staff that'll wait on your hand and foot and bring you whatever cocktail you want. And you walk up on stage and stand there and sort of hold court that just doesn't feel like work to me. It, yes. it, it does yeah. not feel like anything I know is, is work. Work to me means get up on the roof or get under the building and do something, start digging under the building or stripping asphalt shingles on the roof or something. That's what work, work means moving stuff. You had to have some yeah. jobs like that and experiences to really still now at your age now to appreciate what you're doing and being like, man, I'm, I, you feel like you're winning every day. Right. Cause you're not doing that shit. I feel the same way. I did like all night security trying to make it. And then Henzo gave me a job and I started doing jujitsu when I was in my, uh, when I was like 20 years old. So I know what it's like to have a shitty job and to be able to do something I love for a living. So I hear you. That's really. Yeah. I, I don't know why people, I did some shows in Naples, Florida a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, and they sold out. And about three or four days before heading out to Naples, the club owner's like, you want to add a fifth show, like a matinee on on Saturday? Like you'll do like a 5 o'clock show, a 7.30 show, and a 9.30 show, you know, three shows on a Saturday. And I said, yeah, sure, go ahead. You know, and people kind of looked at me and went, whoa, that's three shows, you know, in one day. And I'm like, I'm standing in air conditioning <laughs> talking. And by the way, talking and people are listening. I, I grew up right. in a family where nobody thought I was funny. Nobody listened to a word I said. You know, uh, every teacher I ever had told me to shut up and sit down and get, you know, sit in the back of the class and stop right. being disrupted. I was constantly told that my ideas were worthless and not worth discussion. So the idea that you got a bunch of people paying who want to hear what you have to say and you're just standing there in air conditioning, holding a beer and pontificating. It's never going to feel like work to me. It can feel like a long day and it can feel like, geez, we got to make a 6 a.m. flight, you know, out of Tampa the next morning. We're going to have to get up pretty early. Like, I mean, there's that. Yeah. But the part where you're just standing around talking, I'm never going to let it feel like work. Yeah. For me, like doing those shows, 
it, it, it is so easy compared to forklift driving or any of the stuff I did in the past. Yeah. My, my hesitation is just, I always think it's going to go poorly. Like something's going to go wrong. I'm not going to be able to do it. There's always some weird nagging thing. Um, and that kind of translates into that little jittery feeling right before I go on. Um, and then it goes away once you're in the middle of it, but it's the anticipation beforehand. Oh, the flight's going to be fucked up. Things are going to make me, I'm not going to sleep well. I'm going to be tired and nauseous. It's just all these things I seem to put on it. And I don't know why I do that, but um, you know, it makes the experience not as fun as it should be. How was the early show at Naples? It sold out in like three days. You know, I'm the same with, I'm the same as you. Like, I, I'm always, I'm not the same as you, or maybe I am, but my thought is like, we sold out four shows. There's no more people in Naples that want to see me. We're going to add this fifth show. There's going to be 13 people sitting in the audience. I'm going to be doing this show in front of 10 people. Nobody's going to want to go to this. I, you know, I can still, I'll just go like, who would buy a ticket to this? Who, why would yeah. you want? It's five in the afternoon. It's, it's going to be light for another three and a half hours. People are not going to sit in there, listen to me. And then it sells out, which, you know, it doesn't every time, but it did, it did this time. But my thought is more like, well, who would show up? <laughs> right. There's so many other things to do. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like we, we, it's like the fact that the miracle that four sold out, I don't want to get greedy. I'm always afraid in that situation. If I get greedy, then who I really am will be exposed. And that by means nine people show up. Like right. this was luck that four sold out. The fifth one will be on me. And then, then we'll see how many people just don't give a shit that I'm there. It's always funny when somebody shows up. And so after each show, I always go stand out in the lobby, take pictures with everybody, shake their hand. And I just do it. I don't do it for money. I just do it because look, if you want to come out to the show and you bought a ticket and you want to say hi and take a picture, then I'm flattered. And again, it doesn't fall under the heading of work. So people want to take a picture with you. That's not right. work. You know, I always do that. And, it, and all the time, whenever somebody, and it happens once every other show, somebody's there and they go, this is his birthday present. I bought him tickets yep. for his birthday present. I go, why would you ruin his birthday with this? <laughs> you know, I'm sure he'd rather go out to a nice steak dinner and a martini and a blowjob. What the yeah. fuck you bring him here for? <laughs> I'd be pissed off if somebody bought me birthday tickets to see me. Yeah. I'd be angry as shit, you know, and and it's like, oh, he had a great time, and I'm like, yeah, but it's his birthday. Should have been out having a having a fun time, you know. That's where my head always goes. Is there anybody uh, who you get scared to interview before you interview them, or you have gotten uh, scared to interview, like for whatever reason, uh, either you don't want to talk to them, or they mean so much to you, you're afraid of fucking it up. I I think they're guys like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who I've interviewed, who you realize they have a very pointed sort of political way of thinking, and you want to get into some subjects, but you don't want them to sort of get into a defensive mode about it. Right. Also, also guys that you know are pretty world-class thinkers, like he's he's no dumbo you, you right. know what i mean and if you start asking him dumb questions he's going to immediately suss you out you know like i guess it's the doesn't suffer fools kind of people like you know if you're going to interview kareem abdul jabbar or mark cuban you better kind of or jordan peterson like you better bring it you better not yeah. they will they will 
reveal you as a fool or simpleton like very quickly. Yeah, so I've never interviewed Jordan Peterson. I've interviewed Kareem um, and Mark Cuban. But again, yeah, depending on the subject, the road you're going down, um, you, the guys like that could also, I think, especially a guy like Kareem, I'd be afraid of him shutting off and just going like, ah, this guy's annoying. I don't want to talk to him and kind of not not giving me what I know he can give. In an interview. You know what I mean? Because he's such a smart guy. So you, I also don't want to do something to annoy them where then they just kind of turn off and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because I've had a few of those go sideways. He had a nice fight with Bruce Lee. I'd ask him about that. <laughs> yes, I would ask him about Bruce. I think I did that. Oh, yeah, Nick, he got the big joke. Oh, he had the big footprint on him. When, oh, Game of Death. Yeah, that was but, fun. Game of Death was fun. Yeah. But, you know, you run the risk of asking them about stuff that they've been asked 2,000 times. Yeah. So there's always that kind of a problem, too. You know, so... I think for me, the people you know who are very bright and would immediately know if you weren't bright and were just sort of asking dumb questions. Those are kind of the scariest people to interview. How was uh, Jordan Peterson when you talked to him? Jordan, oh, you know, I would I would include uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. You know, they're guys that yeah. are so bright, so opinionated, and have no sense of humor. Like... And so, like, when you sit down with Robert Kennedy Jr., just be prepared. You're not going to win him over with a zinger right? You know, or cut the tension with a one-liner or anything. He is the most serious but smart as shit, man, and shows up and brings receipts. Like, he has his data committed, and, and guys like Jordan Peterson do as well. So it's like... When you sit down with them, just do not float or Ben Shapiro, you know, do not float any of your BS theories that worked in front of uh, the 28 year old chick you're dating. Right. Who just who just knowingly nods and laughs. They, they they will not go along with it. You know, Yeah, it better be something that's got a substance to it or at least that you can defend uh, admirably, even if you lose. Right. Adam, before we, we have to let you go, we have our next act is uh, our next act. Our next. Uh, wow, that's just comic uh, thinking coming out. Our next uh, interview, our next act coming to the interview. Uh, but uh, the Adam Carolla show, it's on podcast one. It's such a great show. Um, I mean, you've been so big for so long and you really changed the game with podcasting. Um, you do five days a week, right? I do four now. Oh, so doing four, four uh, days, Monday through Thursday. And uh, Jim, I may see you in New York. I'm not sure if you're around. I know I might be leaving. When are you coming? I'm coming out on a Wednesday, Thursday, and I think the show's Friday, Saturday. But I don't know if you're in town. I'm. I th I'm actually getting hotel information probably today, so I should know. I should be able to let you know by tomorrow. All right. Good. And also, I, I can see you. Yeah, I would love that, Adam. And uh, I want to also, you're uh, the, the, the pay-per-view comedy special in San Diego, June the 4th. Tickets can be bought on uh, live1.com slash Corolla Live. Uh, Adam, thank you, man. You're always such a great interview and inter interesting guy. And I'll, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Matt. Take care, Talk to you soon, pal. And uh, yeah, in the waiting room, we have uh, Joaquin Buckley. 
um, who had such a tremendous win. Um, really, really exciting fighter. I, I mean, I don't need to sell Joaquin Buckley. Hey, and, man, uh, it's good that he finally got that monkey off his back. You know what I mean? It's good. He had a couple of losses. Now he's back in that win column. That's got a few. You know, it's got a few. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, be interested to see how. I, again, whenever guys come uh, have a big win, who just had a big knockout win after a couple of losses, Matt. We just had him on. Um, oh, Shabazian. I think even though he, he lost. Uh, oh, he lost that Comey. But I'm saying before that, when we interviewed him, he had come off yeah, a big win after three straight he, losses. He lost to Anthony Hernandez. Sorry. Yeah. And, um, Edmund was looking so good in that first round. He looked great turned around by the end of it like and then but he was looking so he was looking so good i'm like i was going to comment that how good he's looking until he ended up it going yeah. south and you know listen endurance and durability endurance and durability that's a that that's another uh tool in the toolbox that's another weapon in the arsenal for some of these guys right being durable being able to withstand what somebody you, you know uh put uh somebody's um assaulting you with and then you know taking it and then coming back yeah and, and then that's what happened with anthony hernandez so like angela hill even though she didn't come back uh the durability is there and uh you know if a, if a fighter loses a fight um you know by decision or by whatever and they're really durable and they're impossible to put away you still want to see them fight again well, hey man we're gonna want to see michael johnson back but hey, yeah diego ferreira what a nice guy. He went to catch him on the way down, too. He's such a good dude. Yeah. Up, uh, you know, taking out Michael, and it was uh, a vicious uh, knockout. It was kind of a, like, where you just, there's no bracing yourself as you go down. It's like almost like one of those Nganu Overeem type of things where yeah. you're just out on your feet almost. There he is. Oh, has he even been in a fight? Look at his face. I, I know. You look yeah, untouched. Still, still, still pretty out here, you know? <laughs> I'll tell you. Hey, listen. Congratulations. Congratulations, bro. I mean, that was beautiful, man. And you didn't look like the guy that was coming off a couple of losses. You looked focused. You were patient. I was telling yeah. Jimmy, man, we know you have such KO power in your fists and your feet. But you're not rushing. You're not. You're not trying to force the KO. Just steady, solid pressure. And the way you were setting that up, it's like you knew it was going to happen. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Tell yeah. us. Tell us about it. Uh, I mean, you know, even coming out those two losses at 185, man. I keep telling people all my losses that at that that division, that middleweight. You know, I feel like uh, were unnecessary, man, because I feel like you know me. I should have been at 170 the whole time, but. I feel like the 185 division kind of prepared me to fight at welterweight, you know. And for me to come in and uh, do what I did is pretty amazing. Do you get that a lot after a fight? Family calls to see if you're okay? No matter how yeah. good you looked at the fight, they just are a little worried? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, you know. Um, especially uh, with my grandmother and stuff like that, you know. Uh, I got to always call her and check in with her and let her know that I'm okay because she doesn't watch my fights a lot, you know. No matter what, she can never watch it live. So I always got to make sure to call her and tell her that I'm good. Yeah. Let me now. One thing was different was the weight class. Why were you fighting at 185? Uh, because of the opportunity um, at the time. Uh, so when I got cut from Bellator, when I lost to Logan Storley, uh, I thought I was going to continue to be able to fight with them. Um, uh, but yeah, they 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 got rid of me. They cut me, and uh, I, I couldn't find any welterweight fights in uh, my region. So I had to move up. So LFA had called 
uh, Mike Rogers and uh, told him like, hey, bro, we got a fighter um, here that uh, needs a fight. They say, OK, cool. We can give him a fight. Uh, probably a catchweight uh, fight, actually. And I said, hey, I'm down. What's the catchweight? They said, yeah, man, uh, Chris Harris at uh, 185. I'm like, bro, that is not a catch weight. That's a weight class. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, I looked up who Chris Harris was, you know, and I felt comfortable with the fight, and I took it. And then after that, LFA called me with another middleweight fight with uh, uh, Gregory Rodriguez, I believe, a RoboCop. You know, yeah. he ended up pulling out. I ended up fighting an old guy that I lost to back in Bellator, and Jackie Gosh ended up beating him at 185, knocking him out. And then I just got signed to the UFC after that. So, you know, that's just how the story goes. That's just how the cookie crumbled. But, you know, I was glad that I've been able to fight at 185 because just seeing what I was able to do without having to cut weight and just seeing how my body was able to work without, um, I guess, depleting myself, right? If, yeah. if that's the word, you know? And I was still able to knock these guys out and still had that power to put those guys on their ass. You know, I, I was like, yeah, 170 is the position where I can do the same thing. You didn't feel depleted with 170. I actually didn't because we did it right. You know, I had enough time to focus on my body, figure out what worked for me. You know, uh, we didn't have any practice cuts, but I've been uh, paying attention to my weight and, and just paying attention to the things I eat, what picked my weight back up, what picked my weight down, you know, and just how everything of my uh, everything of that nature really worked for myself, you know, when it got, came to cutting that weight. So, you know, salmon, chicken, white rice, uh, kale, cabbage, uh, spinach, you know, been eating the same thing over and over again, man, just making sure that, that the body is uh, very um, nutrition, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> are you are you good at doing that? I mean, I'll, I'll do it when I attempt a diet. I'm just, I get it, I find something I can tolerate and I just eat it all the time because like I'll lose weight doing yeah. this. Um, can you actually enjoy it or are you just good at shutting off any preferences and just making yourself? No, no, I, I enjoy it, man. You know, we, we, we color up our food a little bit, man. So I add the green, orange, yellow peppers to it. You know, um, uh, I add a little bit of the seasoning, you know what I'm saying? I cut up a little bit of seasoning, that thing, you know, a little onion powder, garlic powder, you know what I mean? So you got to play with it. You know, it got to be good to the palate. Definitely if you eating the same thing over and over again. Um, uh, but you know, I try my best to try to stick to the same thing over and over again, no matter what, you know, yeah. and you said your grandmother doesn't watch your fight. Is it because is she older and she goes to bed early or is it just hard for her to watch you in that situation? It's just hard. It's just hard. to definitely how I fight too. You know what I mean? <laughs> definitely the, how aggressive uh, I come, you know, uh, it's just, you know, she just never know what's going to happen, you know, cause I didn't took the, the bad end of a fight too, you know what I mean? To get knocked out myself. You know, so it's just hard for her to watch, man. Too much anxiety, not knowing. But once I call it, it calms her down, and then she can watch the fight no matter how it goes after that, whether I win or lose. She and knows you're okay. Our, one, of, one of our favorite fights to watch uh, for me and her is uh, the Kevin Holland fight. We both love going back and watching that fight. Mm -hmm. Um, And once she knows you're okay, she can she can watch it. Now she, she'll talk to you and go, all right, he's fine. There's no problem. So whatever happens, I already know the end result is that he's right, fine. Right, right, right. Well, she can't really verbally uh, uh, speak to me, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, we watch but she knows you're okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, how good did it feel to get that after two losses? Even though you know why you lost the fight, is there any doubt that creeps in? I mean, when you lose two straight, uh, is, there, is there any part of you? Uh, no, not at all. No, 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 no. I mean, a loss is a loss, you know, uh, but I don't, I don't allow that to even get into my head because, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like my losses make me better. You know, it just puts me more into a mindset of 
a more dangerous fighter, a more dangerous athlete. A lot of other fighters feel like they would get exposed, you know, and that's probably good. Like for them, that's probably whatever, you know, uh, you get exposed. But my thing is if you expose a whole of mine, that's all I got to do is fill it up, fill it in. That's it. You know, so I feel like a lot of my losses have prepared me to be the most dangerous athlete in the world. Your your finishes are violent and beautiful at the same time. It's it's like art. Now this you just decapitated Andre, no disrespect to Andre. Mm. It, it was beautiful. But you won the one before when I'm sorry the gentleman that caught your leg, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, what was the name? Who was it? Uh, Empathisagana. Yes. And you jumped in the air and hit him in the in the in the jaw with a yeah. jumping back, spinning back kick. Yeah. That was something out of the matrix, man. What could <laughs> we expect next? Because that was up there with the showtime kick. I mean, that yeah. yeah. That if it was in a movie, you go, Oh, I call bullshit. You know, you wouldn't think that was real. You wouldn't think it was real, right. So what I'm thinking, what are you gonna show next? Is there some things that you have in the arsenal that yeah. you don't want to reveal yet that are gonna make people go, oh that's a first right. right. See that's the thing, man. You can't predict moments like that, right? You can't just, you know, pull these things out of thin air and just expect these things to happen. Even if I train the most craziest like combinations in the world, you know, yeah. but only thing I need from my opponent is to come and fight and something will magical happen, you know? And that's it. A lot of guys say, like Andre, he he wanted to talk about, because I was hoping he would bring that dog out, that what he talked about, that dog. Because a lot of times when he fights, he comes forward and he's, you know what I mean, ready to bang. But in this fight, he kind of stayed at bay and he stayed patient, you know what I mean? Which whatever, like you do what you need to do in order to stay safe. But when you say you're a fighter, you say you try and bring that dog out and you want to perform and excel, then come on, let's get it. Because I'm willing to do the same thing and I'm willing to die on my motherfucking sword. Are you? And that's it, you know. So um, as long as the fighter is willing to come forward, man, and come and fight, bro, something crazy going to happen at the end of the day. Definitely with me. Was there anything he was doing uh, during the fight that made you set up for that kick? Was it one of those moments where you just threw it because you saw it? Or was it something he was doing where you said, nah, this is going to happen? Hey, man, we drilled a kill, bro. So that's something we drilled over and over again, man, with my coach, Joaquin Mercilago. And uh, it was it's, it's called the trace, you know what I mean? So shoot the two. I mean, it's just like, you know, Kamal Usman and Leon, you know, shoot the two, trace it with the kick, you know? So once you start biting on that cross, you know what I mean? That's when he was comfortable to throw that punch. It's because he was trying to be a counter fighter. So when I threw that two, he tried to counter with the hook, and he didn't realize, like, bro, it's too much space. I uh, just threw that kick right in between, you know? When you have a fight like the the, uh, the the kick match just mentioned, which is almost like like again you compare it with the Pettis kicker, it's one of those almost a career defining moment. Like the, that's the thing that will be in the highlight reel forever. Is it hard after that? You think people have an expectation of you uh, to do things like that every time you're in the cage, um, or do you do you tune all that out, or do you feel that expectation from people? No, no. I mean, like I said, I'm just that type of fighter. I'm gonna show out. Regardless. So it ain't got to be nothing crazy like that kick, but it's going to be fun. Just like what I did with Andre Fialo. You know what I mean? It was still an awesome knockout. You know, it's still something that people was yeah. expecting to happen at the end of the day. So I feel like it's my job to go out there and perform, you know. Uh, but like I said, at the end of the day, if the y'all want to see some crazy ass knockout or something that's coming out of a movie, I need the dance partner to do it. That's it. You know, I just need the right dance partner.
And you said, uh, you tweeted it to all MMA fighters, if you don't have the guts to go to a local city boxing gym and spar, stop thinking you can compete in the actual boxing ring. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what do you think of uh, MMA fighters fighting boxers? And of course, Diaz against Jake Paul. Now, uh, Jake is a, a newer fighter, but he still he looks like he can fight. I mean, nah, um, he boxed. I mean, I mean he, he went all uh, the di distance with Tommy, Tommy Fury, you know what I mean? And the Fury family, but they know for that shit, so... You know, that boy box, you know, yeah. he, he does that. It's his job now, you know. And how do I feel about DS, you know, boxing? It's just, it's going back to that story. Like, Jake Paul just picking and choosing who he wants to fight. And he picking on the old heads, you know. And the old heads trying to get their little checkup right now. So, that's all that is. And I guess a lot of guys are doing it because it's, it's a nice... Uh, it's payday. It's a good fight, yeah, yeah. and I there's mean, no you can't get those guys in the cage with you. No matter how good a boxer is, we saw Tony against yeah. Couture. Well, you can't do it. Well, I don't think a lot of guys. Be honest with you, I think they foolish foolish enough to do it if they get paid enough. You understand? Yeah, they will be sure. foolish enough to do it because even with Tommy Fury thinking about fighting John Jones, you know what I'm saying? It's talking about if he was in a locked door with him. Uh, uh, Tyson Fury, if he was Tyson, in a, yeah. a locked closet with him, that he could take on John Jones, like bro. Nah, like, I'm telling you, it's over with. But I think he actually believes that, though, that he could take on John Jones, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one fight, which is crazy. Now, before we let you go, Joaquin, uh, yeah, who, who are you uh, looking at next, and, and what's next for you after such an amazing win? Uh, I want the whole uh, Kill Cliff uh, crew. I want to I I pull a Dominic Cruz, you know what I'm saying? Uh, how you built the house off of Alpha Male. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm trying to build a house off of uh, Kill Cliff. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. So and have you put guy? any names out there? Have you floated anything? Man, like, shoot, the whole team, I told you. Anybody at 170 can get it. You don't yeah, care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who who they got? Who they got? Let's let's make some names. Vicente Luque, okay. G. Liang, Ian Gary, Shavkat Ramada. Who Ian Gary just stopped? I mean, a tremendous win. Oh, yeah, D-Rod, D-Rod. That's right, Daniel yeah, Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine you versus Ian Gary. That'd be fun. Yeah, that's a right? fun fight. Oh, I get out of here, y'all. Right. Right. <laughs> Joaquin, before you before you get on the elevator, oh. let's say goodbye. Thank you for coming on again. Amazing yeah. win. Uh, just a, another highlight reel. A uh, beautiful win. We'll see you again. Okay. Thank you. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Appreciate you. All right, buddy. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. All right. Oh, it's Natalia. Nat 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 <laughs> you got it. Natalia Sylvia. There you go. She looked great, man. She looked fantastic versus Victoria, Victoria Leonardo. I'm sounding like a moron. No. Why am I in broadcasting? Jimmy. By the way, congratulations too to Gilbert Urbina. What a great, uh, what a great fight oh. against Kosi. Yeah. Uh, in the prelims. Did you see that? How, about, how do you put it? It's a body kick. Uh, what's that? Natalia. I, I can't hear you. Natalia. I'm the wrong guy to ask pronunciations, and I always Natalia. enjoy uh, Natalia Silva. Yeah. Yeah, Natalia Silva. Yeah, Phenomenal. it was fun watching you. It was vicious. Vicious. Anyway, listen, I just wanted to mention that Chase Hooper had a nice fight with Nick yep. Fury, and uh, I like the grappling exchanges. Man, is he crafty on the ground, Chase Hooper. And his striking look improved. Yes. You know what I and, mean? And uh, Borshev had a great win over Ma Mahashate. Uh, a, a tremendous second round uh, 
uh, stoppage. Just a great night. The whole card was really great. Mackenzie um, is, is looking in uh, – she's never looked better. And I think her striking's really improved. Her takedown's improved. I, I want to see what's next for her. And I love, absolutely love her jiu-jitsu. Her jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I know. You know. Yeah. Jimmy. And, uh, can, and, and by the way, even though, again, it was a dominating win – Angela Hill, very durable. It, it was oh, a great yeah. fight. She was in the fight the whole time. And uh, the fact that she survived, I know no fighters satisfied with just surviving, but a couple of those rounds, I really thought she was going to get finished. And uh, she's just almost impossible to put away. So uh, a good effort by uh, Angela Hill. My homie. Jimmy, I will see you when. Not yep, soon Wednesday. Enough. Thank you to Joaquin Buckley and uh, Adam Carolla. Good times, my little friend. See you soon, pal. I'll see you soon, buddy. I miss Bye. you already. Me too. <laughs>